You're listening to KMUZ Turner. Visit our website at kmuz.org to see our complete program schedule and learn more about supporting KMUZ. Welcome to The Forum, our weekly public affairs program. We edit and rebroadcast recordings of lectures, interviews, and presentations of public interest to the Mid-Willamette Valley. Find our Facebook page, The Forum on KMUZ, for upcoming topics and to leave comments. By a recent count, 454 people in Marion County and 84 in Polk County have died of the illness caused by the COVID-19 virus. Today's forum is a recording of a Salem City Club luncheon panel convened to update the situation. City Club President Ron Ekes introduced the luncheon program in late November, just days after Governor Kate Brown's vaccination mandate deadline passed for health workers and some state employees to get their shots. Hello and welcome once again. I'm Ron Ekes, president of the Salem City Club. I'm glad that you can join us today for another of our timely programs on current issues. This is the fourth program in our 2021 and 2022 program season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, we will be presenting our programs virtually through the fall. But our commitment to the Salem City Club mission remains the same. That is to provide nonpartisan civil discourse on important civic issues. We will be presenting programs every two weeks, and we hope you will sign up and join us. You can visit SalemCityClub.com for more information and to register. Thank you to our members, volunteers, and friends who continue to support Salem City Club. Your memberships and donations enable us to continue presenting these programs. Thanks as well to Spire Management for the association services they provide. Salem City Club also depends on the generous support of our supporting business partners. These are KMUZ Community Radio, Eugene Fobert Graphic Design, Pioneer Trust Bank, Rich Duncan Construction, Virgil T. Golden Funeral Home, and Busy Bees Real Estate. And now today's program lead, George Dyer, will introduce our speakers. Thank you, Ron. Today, the Salem City Club embarks on our first program about what has been learned from this pandemic and how we might be more effective with future outbreaks. Our topic today is public health. First, a few stats. Since the pandemic began in 2020, 36,700 Marion County and 7,300 in Polk County have tested positive for the virus which means, according to the New York Times, one out of every 12 Oregonians, one out of every nine individuals in Marion County, and one out of 12 in Polk County have contracted the disease. Tragically, nearly 4,300 Oregonians have died, and just recently, the state has announced that another 500 will be added to that total due to a computer error. 454 deaths in Marion and 81 in Polk County have been recorded. Salem Health, the major hospital system for Marion and Polk counties, was recently the second highest in the state for patients hospitalized with COVID, and also second highest in the state for patients assigned to the ICU with COVID. Now we have with us three panelists who are experienced in delivering roles of educating and protecting us 
from infectious diseases who will share their learnings. Now, we want to thank these very busy people for taking the time to, uh, to help us understand what they have learned about future events such as COVID-19. Let me introduce our speakers. First is Jackie Umstead. She has worked with Polk uh, Public Health for the past eight years in a variety of staff and management positions. Her current role is that of Public Health Administrator. Jackie has a Bachelor of Science degree in nursing from Lakehead University. She is a registered nurse and an international board certified lactation consultant. Jackie has worked in, health, in the healthcare community for over 25 years. She was born and raised in Ontario, Canada, and has lived in Oregon for the past 21 years. And even though she maintains her uh, Canadian citizenship, she considers herself to be an Oregonian. Katrina Rothenberger is the Public Health Division Director for Marion County and uh, for Marion County Health and uh, Human Services. She received a Bachelor of Science degree from uh, co in Community Health Education from Western Oregon and a Master's in Public Health from Oregon State University with an emphasis in health management and policy. And she has previously worked in uh, Polk County's Health Department. Cheryl Nestor Wolf is an RN who joined Salem Health in 2007 and became the Chief Operating Officer in 2010, taking charge of the two county hospital system, which currently has approximately 5,000 staff members. In November of 2015, she became President and Chief Executive Officer of Salem Health Hospitals and Clinics. Since then, the two hospitals and outpatient clinics have expanded. More currently, Salem Health is partnering with providers in the community on two ambulatory surgery centers and a major campus expansion, which is almost complete. Cheryl Wolf has served on numerous local boards and committees. First, we will hear from our two county health experts about what their agencies have learned from this pandemic. Jackie, Katrina, you're on. Thank you for the introduction and to the Salem City Club for hosting us today. And good morning, my name is Katrina Rothenberger and I'm the Public Health Division Director with Marion County Health and Human Services. Uh, before Jackie and I dive into our presentation for today, I wanted to share the lens through which we're presenting. Uh, the public health system contain, consists of local governmental public health, counties like where Jackie and I work, education, healthcare, laboratories, the state health department, community-based organizations, and many other sectors. Today, Jackie and I will be sharing our perspective from the local governmental public health lens. And for those who may not know what we do exactly, we're responsible for investigating a broad set of communicable diseases, restaurant inspections, the WIC program, the Supplemental Food and Nutrition Program for pregnant moms and children, health promotion and prevention and health promotion and prevention activities, to name a few. Our hope after this presentation is that you have a better understanding of the challenges that face public health departments, both small and large, that have really been exacerbated by the pandemic and how we think improvements in local public health can benefit that broader public health system moving forward. All right, and I will dive in. My name is Jackie Umstead. I'm the Public Health Administrator for Polk County. I think another piece of this is also looking at um, how things are a little bit different between a more rural public health department 
um, and one that's um, a little bit bigger in a larger community, um, such as Marion County. So where was I when I first learned about COVID-19 and our first um, local case? Um, so I first heard about the virus back in um, January or late December um, of last year um, during a communicable disease huddle with our um, public health team. Um, our public health uh, communicable disease nurse um, would often let us know about emerging concerns uh, and most of those never really reached us. So it was always just something in passing, something just to keep in the back of our minds. Of course, COVID was different. On January 17th of 2020, we received our first CDC report about the outbreak in Wuhan, China. And our first case was identified um, in a Polk County resident in March of 2020. Of course, that was a Friday evening. Uh, the communicable disease nurse was off on Fridays, so I got to do the investigation, um, which is not my strong suit. Um, that's not what I was um, doing at the time, but I fumbled through it. Um, the other thing I remember from this is I was just getting over a cold. And when we first heard about COVID, they basically talked about all of the symptoms of COVID, dry cough, fever, shortness of breath and breathing difficulties. And just getting over a cold, I had a horrible dry cough that went on for weeks. So I remember sitting in these meetings, um, you know, sucking on cough drops, trying to keep myself um, from coughing. Um, because just like now, if you sneeze or you cough when you're in a store, um, people tend to turn around and, and, and look at you um, and perhaps judge you a little bit. Katrina? Thanks, Jackie. And um, it, 2020 really does feel like a lifetime ago. Um, so much has happened, both personally and professionally. We thought we'd start out with this to just to share a little bit about us as you know people behind the um, public health department. So um, we had also had our first case in early March. It was my dad's birthday, and I got a call from the public health division probably at seven or eight o'clock at night. And um, they asked if I wanted to be in a press conference with the governor the next day. And I was like, wow, you get to, you mean I get to meet the governor? That's awesome. So um, not really taking in the full scope of what this meant as we were heading into a global pandemic that would last for the next uh, couple of years. Um, <clears throat> I... Uh, went up to Portland with some of my public health colleagues and um, shared about the first cases of COVID. None of us were wearing masks. Um, it was very interesting. I tried to shake the governor's hand. She uh, gave me an elbow bump instead. So um, anyway, that's kind of where all of this started for both of us in Marion and Polk counties. And we're going to go through several areas where we've had some strengths and challenges and uh, some lessons learned and how we can move forward. So with communications, uh, we have a PIO team in Marion County. We had uh, at least two people that have been through formal uh, public information officer training. And so um, they could really filter and take on a majority of any media inquiries and really help me focus on um, setting objectives for our COVID response team in Marion County, you know, we had to staff up quickly. Our, our first case was announced on a Sunday and I had our county leadership 
in the office on Sunday and we hired, we thought was so cool, five epidemiologists <laughs> uh, to help us with our COVID response. Um, some challenges with communication was uh, realizing quickly that we did not have the translation capabilities that we really needed to disseminate information quickly. And getting that information from Oregon Health Authority was also pretty limited in the beginning. Um, and an emerging infection really meant that there were constant changes to the guidelines. And when information changes, as you learn more about a novel disease, people begin to get skeptical. Some of the lessons learned is that we really need standing meetings with all of our sectors. So in Marion County, we still have ongoing meetings with our health system partners, with our state partners, specific community-based organizations, and other groups that are still facing the impacts of COVID. And I'll just add to that, um, just looking at it through the rural county lens, I am the public information officer for Polk County, and I'm sure Katrina can agree that that in in and of itself during a pandemic is a full-time job. So that was definitely a challenge that we faced is just finding the time and opportunity to get the information out that we wanted to get out, making sure that we had it available in Spanish as well. Um, which was a challenge um, that we faced as, you know, in addition at the state level is getting all this information translated into multiple languages so we could reach everybody in the community. So that was um, one of our concerns. And again, just the partnerships that we developed with our health systems, with our other community partners, Um, and having those standing meetings. In addition, having additional meetings with the Oregon Health Authority with the information changing so quickly, uh, it it was challenging just to stay on top of it. One of our big challenges early on was around personal protective equipment or PPE. One of the strengths that we saw in our community is that people began to make masks and give those out to our long-term care facilities, to our medical clinics. They made aprons, they made gowns, they really came together to support the community in, in a really positive way. Of course, our challenges were big supply chain issues. I recall we were ordering some N95s just as the pandemic started, And between one week and the next, we could get them and then we couldn't. No vendor could get them. We couldn't get them from Amazon. Um, They were just gone everywhere. So that was challenging. Another challenge for Polk County is we initially, when we did receive some PPE through the state, we were distributing it through our public health department. And you can imagine that we have a very small area for public health here in Dallas. So just boxes upon boxes of stuff, you know, labeled for different long-term care facilities and EMS agencies until we moved that to our emergency operations center. And then it was distributed and we came up with a streamlined Google form people could fill out who needed uh, PPE for their agencies. Katrina? Thanks. And I do have a bullet point on here. Marion County just discarded expired PPE. I wanted to touch on that just briefly. Um, I think we've all turned into hoarders now when it comes to PPE. Um, We had a bunch of masks left over from H1N1 
and Marion County had moved buildings to upgrade our building on Center Street and had discarded some mass prior to like maybe in 2016 or 17. And so everybody was like, where are those masks that we had from H1N1? And they were gone. So I think now we're definitely, if someone's donating something, I will take it. <laughs> so I will never throw away a discarded or an expired uh, mask ever again, unless it's contaminated. So, and then we, public health did not initially recommend masking. I don't know if folks remember in the first few months of COVID, but uh, masks were not recommended. It was really challenging to get over that uh, culture shift and that, sh- and that mindset shift for even uh, public health practitioners who don't typically recommend masking in, in, a, in just like a regular everyday setting because um, an N95 needs to be properly fit tested. And if you don't wear it correctly, it can actually, that was one of our talking points. If you don't wear the mask correctly, it can actually do harm. So, of course, we know now after being through 18 months and lots of data around masking and how COVID-19 is spread, that masks do, in fact, help um, uh, mitigate the spread of COVID-19. And the when you have a scarce resource like personal protective equipment, it's really important that you have a transparent and clear PPE distribution protocols and getting your policymakers on board with what that protocol is. So when you're making decisions on who gets PPE and who doesn't and how much, that you have a solid distribution protocol to back that up. And of course, the Oregon National Guard, uh, they've been in the news a lot lately for all of their great work in our community. And they really helped with distributing PPE around Oregon. We had National Guard here in Marion County to help us with PPE uh, last year. COVID-19 testing. um, So this is another, that was another early challenge for us in the beginning. Tests were hard to come by. They had to go to the CDC. The criteria for testing was very narrow. There were supply chain issues that made it difficult for folks and, again, made it difficult for folks now, too. And one major lesson learned when it came to testing is how much we really needed to rely on our community partners. We know that there's a group of folks who don't necessarily feel comfortable going to a healthcare setting for a a COVID-19 test. So that picture, I'll let Jackie talk about it. Go ahead, Jackie. (laughs) Sure. Um, so the, the picture in the presentation is actually at the Polk County Fairgrounds. We coordinated with uh, an agency who um, basically stood up to provide testing, um, at least for a little while. So we made it as open as possible. We used our community-based organizations um, that worked with our Latino population um, to make sure that we had translation available so that we can really make sure we're reaching our vulnerable populations um, who are most impacted by COVID, which of course is our Black, Indigenous, um, Latino community of color um, populations. Uh, so we, I think we did three testing events at the fairgrounds and and eventually the need at that point started to die down as our COVID numbers um, decreased. Workforce um, was, and and I will say remains a challenge um, even before COVID, um, workforce and public health um, has has been hard. 
Um, what we had going for us, um, you know, when we're looking at case investigation for COVID, we've done this type of work before in other diseases and contact tracing. So it wasn't new or novel to do this type of work for public health, but the sheer volume of cases and the amount of support that you need to, to do it well um, was a challenge. We also worked with our community uh, partners, um, Polk County uh, works with Western Oregon University community health students to provide our contact tracing for Polk County. And that's been an amazing partnership. We were able to hire uh, six public health workers, temporary positions, um, which again, just kind of augmented our, our team. And our team, just to let you know, during the pandemic, when it started, we had three registered nurses uh, one public health worker, one medical assistant, one nurse practitioner who worked one day a week for reproductive health, one clinical supervisor, a half-time program manager, and a public health administrator. So we're small. Um, so to increase by six people basically doubled our workforce. Um, by this past summer, though, we were down to one public health worker. So it's hard work. It's grueling. Um, you're talking to people all day and educating, and some people are very receptive and some people not so much. Um, and I'll let Katrina take it from here. Thanks. Um, I think one of the strengths that we had at Marion County is uh, our, our staff are pretty diverse, and we realized how important that was with uh, reaching to populations and where some of our gaps are in, in our workforce. Uh, we did also um, have a high turnover rate in our temporary positions. Um, we started off with temporary positions because of funding uncertainties, but once we realized that funding would be a little bit longer term, we developed some regular full-time positions with benefits. So uh, that helped with retention. And then we run our COVID response to this day like um, an emergency response. So we have an incident commander, we have an operations section chief, we have logistics, public health information or public information officer, and a very clear chain of command. Uh, we started out that way and quickly realized that we did not have enough expertise in the, each of those levels. And so uh, we have trained a lot of our staff to take on new positions. It's been a great um, workforce development opportunity for many of our staff. And, um, you know, people need breaks. It's been 18 months and um, you've just been going for so long. And, um, you know, we need to allow time and space for people to take breaks to grieve. We've had tremendous personal impacts from this pandemic. And um, just be just learning to have some compassion with each other as well. So um, next slide, please. Uh, data and information. So this, this has been um, a challenge and uh, a good place for, um, for us to be able to refer people back to. Um, we've put a team together that was responsible for providing data in a timely manner. Um, we started posting reports back um, a year ago, but started our data dashboard pretty early on. Um, there was a lot of 
conversation at the governmental public health level, at the county level, on how much information do we release and when and should we all go together. And these conversations were good, but uh, when it came down to it, you really need to make a decision for your own community that um, you think would be best. And so uh, Marion County was one of the first that released case level information at the zip code level. Um, we felt by that time, we there were enough cases that uh, we wouldn't run the risk of potentially identifying someone. Uh, that had happened in other communities in Oregon um, where folks had been identified just based on um, information being shared at incorrect times, not necessarily by the county health department, but you always have to weigh that risk too. So is the data too granular to release at the zip code level? Because above all else, we do uh, we do get every single positive COVID um, uh, test result. And we do talk to everybody, try to call everyone and have information about folks and that um, is pretty sensitive. And so it is our top priority to maintain that integrity with the community that we will not share information that could potentially identify someone. Um, it is something that we take very seriously. Um, our team takes an oath to uh, make sure that they are using the data in our data system and with integrity and purpose. We don't access anything that we are not supposed to. And um, um, uh, anyways, I will turn it over to Jackie. Thanks. Thank you. Um, and again, just looking at things through a smaller um, health department, we don't have a team that prepares data for us. Um, so although we do have a, a dashboard similar to Marion County, that took a long time for us to stand up. Um, again, because of just our, our, our workforce challenge and just what our baseline was, our baseline was we didn't really have somebody who could do GIS data. So we've kind of borrowed and pulled people from different positions within Polk County Health Services to make sure that we can present data and we can be as transparent as possible. Vaccination. Um, we have spent almost a year now um, working in, in vaccination. And of course, the strengths are just the, the hope. This is really what is going to help us get out of this pandemic. Um, and we had lots of partners at the table who were very, very willing to help us. Um, the challenges in the beginning, of course, um, there just wasn't enough vaccine. There were priority groups um, that were, were labeled by the state, um, but there was a lot of people reaching out to both counties saying, me first, me first, why not me? So it was really challenging to work through the priorities uh, and make sure that we were being equitable to ensure that our vulnerable populations were also getting vaccinated as well. Um, and I think what we've learned is that we need to work with our community partners to come up with um, different vaccination strategies that's gonna work for different parts of, of the population. And then being as transparent as we possibly can be with the community to say, this is what we're doing and, and this is why we're doing it. 
just moving forward, we've really recognized how incredible our community-based organizations are as an extension of the public health infrastructure, and we'll maintain these relationships beyond COVID-19. Um, I, our relationships with our health systems, there's a, a group that continues to meet um, <clears throat> to talk about other health issues as they're also as we're also battling um, and giving COVID-19 vaccines out. Um, and linkages between academia and governmental public health, make, making those stronger so that the public health training in, in colleges, universities um, actually focus on what we do in a public health setting. And then investing in public health is crucial outside of a pandemic. So we can build these capabilities uh, before something like this happens again. And um, it, ma making sure that the core capabilities between small, rural, large, and urban local public health are similar so that everyone in Oregon ha can enjoy the same public health protections that um, everyone else does. Thank you. You're tuned to All Volunteer Community Radio, KMUZ, Turner, broadcasting to the Mid Willamette Valley on 88.5 and 100.7 FM. This is our weekly public affairs program, The Forum. I'm Forum producer Stella Schaffer. 17 million so far, clocking in at 30,000 a day. Dollars, that's the stunning cost of fighting the COVID virus in Marion County. Buying masks and other gear, caring for patients, 90% of whom did not get the vaccination shot before becoming sick enough to need hospitalization. The lessons learned from the pandemic are becoming clear, though it's far from over. Workers in Polk and Marion Public Health and hospital staff brought up-to-date facts to this luncheon meeting of the Salem City Club in late October of 2021. So now it's on to Cheryl Nestor-Wolf. Thank you for having me today. Great overview uh, by Katrina and Jackie. Uh, 18 months doesn't uh, normally feel very long, but it has uh, absolutely uh, been a long haul. Uh, so we, like everybody else in the community, and have uh, acknowledged this has been a long and hard pandemic. Uh, our community has been one of the hardest hit by the pandemic in the state. Uh, the, it's not a badge of courage to have the second uh, highest number of hospitalizations in the state. Uh, it is just the reality of what your uh, local health care system uh, worked with and continues to work with. Um, so the Delta surge reinforced the realities of this virus. Uh, we were extremely busy uh, prior uh, to uh, the um, uh, COVID pandemic. We had started the process for building additional beds for our community because of the aging uh, and growing population in our two counties. Uh, so uh, then we found ourselves uh, with uh, uh, COVID and now more recently the De uh, Delta variant. Survival, um, the patients, of course, that are in the hospital are the sickest in our community. And once a patient with Delta, which was very different from the original COVID uh, strain, once uh, a patient is ventilated, uh, we have uh, a very high death rate of those individuals of which 
so about 92% of the patients that get to ventilation are uh, in our ICUs uh, do not survive. And out of that, about 91% of those patients are unvaccinated, which I believe is completely preventable. So um, we have certainly seen a decline <clears throat> in the number of cases. We were at 110 cases at, in our hospital at the, at the peak of the uh, Delta variant surge. And our traditional capacity for, uh, for patients was stretched to 109%, meaning we were over our traditional bed license and we had uh, identified many places that we could house patients or take care of patients safely to extend the number of beds uh, since uh, should we need those. And that planning absolutely has paid off. A hospital is considered fully occupied if uh, we're at 80%. Uh, so 109% is um, obviously well above capacity. And that capacity, it confuses people. It's because you're always transferring people from one bed to another because they need a different level of care. So you have to have that um, additional um, capacity uh, to be able to move pa patients efficiently so they get the right care that they need. So today we have uh, 48 patients in our inpatient and ICU. Uh, yesterday was 55. We're kind of hovering around 50 right now, so about half of what we saw earlier in the surge. But that still is unprecedented with essentially two of our nursing units completely uh, full of patients that we don't normally take care of. So you can see the impact to the rest of our operations continues to be significant. So we've learned a lot about COVID and crisis response, just like my colleagues uh, over the last 18 months. And I'll just share a few thoughts with you. And then if you could take us to, um, I skipped slide two, I knew I'd be terrible at this part. Uh, and if you look at, that's the, that's the um, shape of what we have seen. And you can see the difference between breakthrough cases and um, other cases on a daily basis, a significant breakthrough, meaning you've been back, you've received full vaccination, uh, but still got uh, COVID and were sick enough to be in the hospital. Uh, next slide, uh, please. So when you look at uh, the lessons learned, they, they fall broadly under three uh, areas, capacity, uh, flexibility, and innovation. Next slide, please. Um, so one of the things that people um, have been talking about in Oregon uh, more recently is that we have uh, in Oregon the lowest counts of hospital beds per capita in the nation. So we're one of the very lowest. Uh, and we have certainly needed every one of those and many more, as you can see, this trajectory of increasing uh, the number of patients in the hospital. And again, about... Uh, 18 months, um, or about uh, four years before the, the uh, about four years ago, we started planning for the aging and growing population in our community. We've really been growing at a, a significant rate. And also you can plot out the aging and you can, from that, derive the number of hospital beds. We knew we were going to be in trouble in about five or six years, meaning we would not have enough capacity 
to serve the community. Next slide, please. Uh, so you're aware that uh, we have uh, been in construction of new beds, that we will bring 150 new beds into service uh, next uh, summer in July. And then what we will, what we will see is the, um, um, our planning for when another tower for our community has to be built because of COVID has now uh, been shortened from 10 years to probably uh, seven to eight years before we'll need to construct another tower for the, for the bed capacities uh, in our community. So next slide, please. So I'm gonna talk about the vaccine clinic in just a minute, but I wanna spend a, a few minutes on um, people capacity and um, really having leaders and staff in your community. And this was throughout the entire healthcare community, which includes our public health partners, that we were able to just uh, step up, be creative, manage shortages, uh, we had help from our community sewing masks. You've heard that uh, from uh, Jackie and Katrina. And um, the, 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 this is a team that you should be very proud of in your community. Um, and uh, I personally couldn't be prouder to be uh, part of this healthcare system in Marion and Polk County. So when we look at... Um, when we look at innovation and flexibility, uh, one of the areas that I would say is you have to be nimble in a, in a uh, situation where you have a new disease, a novel virus, very little was known about it. It has taken us um, this entire time to stay on top, uh, similar as top of the, the uh, needs and the issues and the changes and similar to what you've already heard um, we've had incident commands up, uh, sourcing PPE, really taking care of the, the significant changes. Uh, one of the changes that, uh, that we did um, is that um, made a decision in uh, late December that we were going to need a mass vaccination approach in order to help our public health uh, partners and other organizations vaccinate our community because just the sheer number of vaccines could not, and the, the fact that there was a shortage of those vaccines uh, could not be handled by any um, single uh, entity. So you can see um, with this next slide, the number of doses that we gave. And if you uh, go to the next slide, you can see the percentage of the population um, that are now uh, vaccinated in uh, Marion and Polk County. Uh, this is a total population number. If you look at 18 and older, we're a little above 70% in both counties, but uh, still leaves a lot of people unprotected uh, in our community. So in the last slide, I uh, just want to draw your attention to the um, uh, mandate by the uh, governor uh, who, um, quite frankly, I completely agree with the healthcare mandate. Healthcare workers were one of the few states and are the only state in the country that has a law um, that prohibits mandating vaccines uh, or immunizations for healthcare workers. So I was 
uh, pleased to see uh, the governor take this action. And today we're 100% compliant with the governor's mandate. 90% of our staff of five, over 5,000 have been vaccinated. We lost, um, we lost about, excuse me, there goes the timer. Uh, we lost about um, 45 staff that did not either get vaccinated or claim an exemption. And um, we have been able to keep all of our services open uh, for our community. So with that, I will uh, turn it back over to Hans West. Uh, hello there. So I'm Hans West with uh, City Club. And once again, uh, it's so nice, so great to have all these, to have these three speakers who can give us the inside story here. We're going to go into question and answer now. Let me start with John Hofer. Thank you very much. This is for Cheryl Nestor-Wolf. Uh, you indicated that you had to be nimble on your feet and to really respond quickly because of the way the information was developing. What in the several years before this pandemic have you done at Salem Health and the organization of how you do your work that put you in a position to be nimble? Uh, well, great question. Thank you. We embarked on uh, the lean journey as our new management system about 10 or 12 years ago. And as a result of that, we were very quickly able to look at the situation, make it what we call visible so you can see the data, see the information, and then take actions on that. You know, waiting to hear from people about what we needed to do uh, is not the culture. Our culture was very geared and very adept uh, because of this um, uh, uh, system that we have in, uh, in our organization for making sure that uh, we can see what's going on, we can look at it together, we can figure it out together. We were able to do that very quickly as a result of that uh, practice that we'd already had for almost 10 years. Thank you. Um, so well, let me ask one. As we've all been kind of uh, hearing and reading, there's been a lot of pressure on public health departments around the country uh, and anti-vaxxers. So I'm going to ask just, have you, uh, this is Katrina and Jackie uh, and, and perhaps Cheryl, seen pushback from the anti-vaxxers and as your staff feeling uh, or getting pressured in that way? Um, this is Katrina. In Marion County, we aren't necessarily the ones doing the administration of the vaccines. It's our ambulance partners, primary care and pharmacists. So what I have heard recently is that there's less stigma associated with going to a testing event and then acquiring a vaccine. So um, I have heard that there is some hesitancy and um, stigma associated with going to a strictly vaccination event. But if there's a testing event, that might be less risky. It's also an opportunity to provide more education and obtain a vaccine. But in terms of any negative from any one of the public, uh, my staff hasn't really received much of that. For Polk County, Hans, I would say that in talking to people when we're doing case investigations, you know, there's definitely been people who just don't believe in COVID, don't believe in the vaccine. They just flat out refuse. And and those conversations tend to end quickly because there's not usually a lot you can do to change somebody's mind at that point. Um, I'll also say that um, we were getting a lot of um, opinions 
um, we'll call them, on our Facebook page. Um, and so eventually we just disabled our comments because we are trying to provide a platform for factual, accurate information. And there was a lot of anti-mask and anti-vaxxing information being shared in the comments. So we thought that was the best approach. Thank you. Uh, Cheryl, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, I think similar. Even though we set up the two mass vaccination centers, one in Polk County and one in Marion County, those were attended by people that were eager to get their vaccines. And so we didn't really have that interaction. Occasionally, there might be someone, we had mobile clinics that we took out to different sites. We had an occasional persons who did not believe in the vaccination, but I would say overall, it's been pretty smooth and not very disruptive in our community. Thank you. We'll go to Russ and Delena over here with hand raised. Russ, please present your question. Okay, thank you. This is largely for Katrina and Jackie. County budgets, as we all know, are pulled in lots of different directions. I presume that when this pandemic has hit, it's, it has required somewhat of a, a transfer of budgets from other uses, but, uh, and, and you've, you've very adequately identified all the other constraints that you've been under, getting equipment and staffing, et cetera. Uh, but what can you say about the budget constraints that have occurred here? Well, public health funding is kind of complicated and riveting. It's very segregated by program element. And so we shifted funds that were paid with state general fund. Some counties use county general fund. We also receive federal funds. And so we were able to shift some of the state general fund dollars for other programs to our COVID response. And then we've also received an influx of federal funds. So I would say the funding issues were the least of our worries after about the first several months of like, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay for this? We have spent $17 million on our COVID response so far and about $30,000 per day. And we tracked it every single day since a couple months in. So yes, it was a constraint early on, but not so much anymore with the influx of federal funds. Other work has stopped, though. Other important public health work has stopped. And that is something that I'm pretty concerned about, but also need to address the immediate issue, which is COVID-19 right now. And I'll just add to that, just what Katrina was saying, we basically went from operating a reproductive health program, an immunization program, a home visiting program, full-time, to offering it rarely, like one day a week, because we had to take all of our resources essentially and put them into COVID. And we do have more funding streams for COVID than really we've ever seen before in public, which is great. So yes, after the first few initial months, then different pots of money, if you will, started coming in of course, there's always strings attached. So certain buckets of money can only be spent in very certain ways. So it does require somebody to spend a lot of time reading all the rules on how this specific pot of money can be spent to make sure that we're in line with the intent of the money. But but thankfully, we've been able to fund what we've needed to fund. Unfortunately, of course, all of these different areas of money have expiration dates. So as we move through this pandemic, we will very likely get back 
right to where we started with our funding, which is, to put it plainly, not enough. Thank you. We have time for uh, one, maybe two more. So this time it is Melanie Zermer. Thank you. And actually, this is looking into the future for Cheryl Nestor Wolf. And I heard, or through Salem Reporter, I understand that Salem Health is now hosting vaccine clinics at the Salem Center in downtown Salem. Is that correct? Uh, We are not opening any of the mass vaccination centers at this point. Uh, We believe we're a distribution hub for all of the pharmacies and physician offices in the community. When we first started this, there was no distribution uh, method because of the vaccines and the storage and what was needed for those. So we are now distributing those. We have continued with mobile vaccination clinics, but we are not planning on opening up additional sites at this time because we believe that it can be handled in the community. Okay. Were you aware of the Salem reporter that announced that Salem Health was hosting them Tuesday through Friday from 1 to 7 p.m.? It is a mobile clinic. Sorry. That is what is going to be there. Yes. Okay. All right. Sorry. So I guess yeah. so my, real, my real question was more related to the boosters and how is that, can you tell us a little bit more about how that may be handled once it's approved that you can mix and match your boosters? Uh, well, we are waiting. That has now been approved by the CDC. It will have to be approved. Uh, there's a few more steps before we will get the actual approval through the Oregon Health Authority. When that happens, we will communicate that with the public. Um, there, It is a uh, even more complex uh, problem in terms of how we uh, make sure uh, that we give the correct uh, vaccinations to people. And um, so there is a, uh, an approval process, and then we actually have to have a, a specific uh, uh, computer build for this so that we can make sure that we do it correctly. So we're, we're still a few weeks off for the mix and match. Of course, regular boosters for the uh, populations that have been identified to date are available um, through, again, your physician's offices and your local pharmacies. Thank you for that question. Uh, Miriam, do you want to do a Q&A so at least we can get, can get a few of those in? Sure, yeah. Um, let me see here. Um, I'll go back and read the first question that came up um, from Dick Hughes. He says, this month I was hospitalized for a week at Salem Health with a breakthrough case. Excellent care. A West Salem resident, I received a Polk County letter in response to my positive test that said my health provider, or should I notify Polk Health if I've been hospitalized? How do I know whether that was done? This is Jackie, I can answer that one. Because COVID is a reportable disease, um, anytime somebody is is test positive for COVID, the county is notified. And any hospitalizations, the county is also notified as well through our our data reporting system at the state. During our our Delta surge of cases, we got to a point where we were unable to reach out by phone to all of our cases and do an interview, which is similar in Marion County and and really across the state. We're only just coming down from that now. Um, So for some people, instead of reaching out by phone, we just sent a letter basically saying, you have COVID as, you know, people already know, we're not usually the first ones to tell somebody they have COVID occasionally. But typically, 
they know from the lab, they know from their doctor's office, but our job is to inform, here's the information you need to isolate, here is the information you need to tell the people that you are around that would be considered a close contact, and here's the information you need if you need any support in isolating. So if you need financial assistance, if you need food, we wanna make sure that our population who has COVID can do what's necessary to keep it from spreading. Thank you. Next, we'll take a question from uh, Corey Villardo. I think that's right. Uh, let me unmute you. Uh, please give us your, uh, please unmute and give us your question. Hi, thank you so much. Um, and you said my name perfectly. <laughs> this question is for Cheryl Nestor Wolf. I ac- I had to miss the the report on the number of positive cases and hospitalizations and <clears throat> patients in the ICU. And I was just wondering if you could share that information again, please. Uh, so um, today's cases, we have forty eight. And about 10 of those are in our ICU. And so that's been a fluctuating number. We had 110 at our highest uh, a few weeks ago with uh, over 25 patients in our ICU, the majority of who were ventilated uh, in our ICU. So we're roughly using, if you look at it from a bed count, about uh, 60 beds a day for COVID positive patients. And are you still seeing that as a unvaccinated person or are they still, are there still breakthrough cases coming in that are needing to be hospitalized? Um, We will always have breakthrough cases, but the overwhelming number of cases are unvaccinated. More than 90% are unvaccinated that are sick enough to come into the hospital. Thank you so much. And you guys are rocking it. Well, thank you all. I think that's all we have time for. You've been listening to public health directors in the Mid-Willamette Valley discuss the lessons we've learned so far from COVID about prevention, treatment, who gets the disease, and how much is being spent every day coping with the pandemic. KMUZ would like to thank Salem City Club for the audio recording to make this program. The entire panel discussion and Q&A is permanently posted on the website at SalemCityClub.com. This is Community Radio KMUZ, Turner, broadcasting local news and public information for the Mid-Willamette Valley. This program is aired on Friday at noon and repeated Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. Thanks for listening.